Now, if you have your Bibles, I want you to grab hold of them for just a moment. If you have your Bibles, by the way, this is a chance for me to ask you to hold it up and say amen. amen. All right. Always great to see that. I see some iPhones, some tablets, and everything else. As long as it contains a copy of God's Word, that's awesome. You'll also find a copy of a Bible under many of your seats, and so reach under there if you need one of those. Take your Bibles today and turn to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. And today I want to continue our series, actually complete our series today on Where is the Love? And we're looking today at a very appropriate title of this message, Where is the Church Love? What about the church gives us the ability to love each other in a way that you won't find anywhere else on planet earth. So where is the church love today? Let's stand together for the reading of God's word. Romans 12, beginning in verse 9 through verse 13. Paul writing to the church at Rome. And by the way, the church at Rome is under persecution at this time. Imagine with me for a moment. You being persecuted only because you're a believer of Jesus Christ. And Paul's writing a letter to you, and among other things, he says, you really, really need to learn how to love each other in the body of Christ, essentially because you're not going to find that love outside these walls. A historical fact, the persecution of the church at Rome had begun by the time of this letter. It was carried out both by the state and local communities, and it was so bad it often led to death on the part of the one persecuted. One church historian, Eusebius, writes of great multitudes perishing, often led by mobs who went unregulated against the people of God. Now, that's a foreboding kind of context. So where is someone going to find peace and love and acceptance and safety? In the church. In the church. So here's Paul writing about that beginning in verse 9. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Well, that's, that's a, lot of, a lot of statements about how we are to live out this life. We're going to talk about that. Where's the church life? Father, in Jesus' name today, speak to us powerfully by the Word, by the power of your Holy Spirit, about how we are to love one another within the body of Christ. Lord, you've given us a unique opportunity. And Lord, we want to live it out. We ask this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Please be seated if you would. This has been a kind of a four-part series. And in the first few messages of this series, we've looked at the four different words for love in the New Testament. Now, we've also looked at a phrase that's very important, and that phrase is the word relationship phrase. Relationship is the most important word in the English language. I've said that four weeks in a row. Hopefully, you've grasped that by now. Hopefully, you remember that by now. Every good thing comes through relationships. Every bad thing also comes through relationships, so it really is important that we have the right kind of relationship in our lives. But relationship is the most important word in the English language. We looked at our relationship with God, that we're to love the Lord our God with all of our hearts, all of our souls, all of our minds, and that we're to love our neighbors as ourselves. That's the great command, and that's the agape word that we looked at. The next week, we looked at eros. That's another Greek word, this time a word for romantic love, and Russell Gregory brought a great message on marriage love and what it looks like 
in marriage. Then we look at a word storgi. That word storgi is a word that means family life. How do we love one another in the natural biological family? How do we naturally love and care for and protect those in our family in spite of all the challenges? And then another word that we'll focus on today is the word phileo. And it's a word that means brotherly love, friendship based on commonality. And we have much in common in the body of Christ, don't we? So because of that, Paul says, I've got a word that I want you to be able to understand and live out, practically speaking. It's so important that you do that in the body of Christ. That word, phileo, is often translated and transliterated into English. The word Philadelphia, for example, the city of Philadelphia is the city of what? Brotherly love. Why? Because the Greek word phileo and then the word dupos means a brother, that we love one another, the city of brotherly love. But just because you have the name doesn't mean you're living it out. And so Paul says, here's a word that I want you to understand really well within the body of Christ and practice. And so we're going to look at what he says for us to do. And let me just stress how important this is. It was important then in a time of persecution. It's important now in a time of disfavor in our culture. Let me just remind you today that the Christian is not in favor in his or her culture today. Do you understand that? That we are often spoken against simply because we believe Jesus is the one way, truth and the life to the Father. The only way that we can be saved. We believe that because the Bible says that because Jesus said that he rose again the third day. We have our reasons, but those in the culture do not like that. And so we are seen in disfavor. We are sometimes found in disfavor because of the moral stances that we take based on the Word of God, not preference, but the Word of God. So we stand like that, and we are sometimes mocked or ridiculed. We are not going to find ourselves in a favorable culture in the future. So therefore, we must find favor in the body of Christ and love one another as only we can love each other based on commonality. So let me give you some principles out of this passage, some commands that are there the practices that are there. First of all, the principle. Paul says, let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. The word love here is the word agape, the unconditional word for love. And the two statements following this principle, let love be without hypocrisy, explains this kind of love that we have for others. Basically, Paul is saying, by way of explanation, we are to love unconditionally without accepting and approving of evil in a person's life. That is, I can love someone without accepting everything that they practice, everything that they believe. I can still love them unconditionally. I can still act towards them with kindness at the same time share truth with them. There are some today in our culture that say, you can't love unless you accept everything I believe and everything I choose to do. But the Bible says differently. It says that that would be hypocritical love. I'm just accepting that even though I don't really believe that. That's what I would call not agape, but sloppy agape undiscerning kind of life. But the heart of this is that we are to love one another unconditionally without embracing evil and while embracing good. It's Jesus-like agape. We love the person but not the sin. We love the person but not the compromise. And so it's important for us to understand we do that in the body of Christ. We do that in families. When a parent says to the child, I will love you forever, no matter what, but I'm not going to approve certain things that you do. And so it's important that you know what the truth is and where my convictions are and what the Bible says about it. But do I love you? Yes, I love you. I simply don't accept everything that you say 
is good and right, but only what God says is good and right. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. A very simple two-step process for making sure your love is without hypocrisy. And you can love people unconditionally without approving of them, even in the body of Christ. That's why we can have various kinds of opinions and still love one another and still draw each other close to one another because we love without hypocrisy. In, a sin, in essence, when I love someone without accepting something that they've done or are doing that's wrong, it's saying I love you too much to accept that sin and leave you in it. I love you so much that I'm going to cling to you and that which is good in your life, but I'm going to abhor that which is evil in your life because I love you too much to leave you in the sin. Isn't that what Jesus says? Isn't that what Jesus does? Loves us too much to leave us there. And so we can love without hypocrisy. We can love sincerely. That's the principle that runs all the way through this passage. And then there is the command. Here it is in verse 10. I want you to notice it carefully. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. I'm going to slow down at this moment for just a few seconds because this phrase is very, very important. Twice you find the word love in the original language here. It says, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. That's the word phileo there. But when you look at the first part of that word or phrase, be devoted, it really is an unusual word construction. Let me explain it to you. Be devoted is translated from two strong words for love. Phileo, which is warm affection for friends and those we have commonality with, and storge, which refers to family. And when these two words combine, only time in Scripture you find that. When these two words combine the way Paul used it to describe be devoted, it describes a unique devotion to your spiritual family that you don't find anywhere else on planet Earth. Nowhere else on planet Earth. It's not based on romantic love. It's not based on, on, on just on a common, uh, a common purpose that you do or a common activity that you are involved with. It's based on the commonality we have in Christ. It's unique to the church. It means that we have unique love for one another in this room today and in all the venues where we worship together because we are brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. So it's a powerful, powerful phrase. And basically, it's so unique and priceless that we have to dwell on it for just a few moments. It means that, as it says in Scripture, we cannot ignore each other. It means we cannot say we have no need of one another. It means we cannot be independent and separate no matter what kind of introverts or extroverts we are. We cannot be separate. We're part of the body of Christ. We're one. We have Christ in common. We have the Spirit of God in common. We have salvation and sanctification in common. We have common truth, the Bible, the Word of God. We even have a common language. Who else in this world calls one another brothers and sisters that are really not brothers and sisters biologically? We call ourselves brothers and sisters when we forget the name. Hey, sister, how you doing? Hey, brother, good to see you this morning. But we are common in the family of God. We're the only people on the planet of the earth that talk about being washed in the blood of a lamb, are we not? I've never heard anybody outside the body of Christ say that. We're the only ones that say the word hallelujah and actually know what it means. We're the only ones that brag about being depraved and in our sin because we also brag about the cross of Jesus Christ rescuing us from our lostness and our depravity. We're unique. We're in the body of Christ and we are together. We are. And because we're not just individuals, because we are one, we have this amazing command 
that we are walked together in a unique way. We have a common day of worship. We have a common mission. We're called to serve a great God. We're called to do great things for God. We're called to trust God for the impossible. We're called to believe together, to act together, to march together in mission. Paul's got a lot in that passage. But then he names eight characteristics that somehow I'm going to describe in these next few minutes. So the principle is let love be without hypocrisy. The command is be devoted to one another. And then finally the practice. Here's what our practice should be. Beginning in verse 11, he begins to get into that. He says, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Here's what our practice should be. And he gives us these eight characteristics. Now, these eight characteristics are enumerated after the principle, after the command, without actually categorizing them. But I've categorized them so we can see three different streams of thought here Paul is giving us. If you wanted to summarize these eight, this would be a good way to summarize the eight so that you could remember them well. And here's what we're to be. First of all, we're to be God-centered. God-centered. Now, there are three phases that, to phrases that talk about being God-centered, beginning with the phrase, serve the Lord. In fact, many commentators say this is the phrase that really characterizes everything else in this text, that we are to serve the Lord. We are to see ourselves as servants of the living God. And again, not individuals. And again, not just uh, interest groups. We are to serve God as servants of the Most High King. It's interesting that Romans 8, verses 6 through 8, describe spiritual gifts. So the background for the passage we're reading is about the spiritual giftedness that every one of us have. So then each of us, having been gifts, we're to serve the Lord. If you're a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, you've been given a spiritual gift. And that spiritual gift is designed for you to serve the Lord along with others who are also gifted in various ways so that we can move forward the kingdom of God, present the gospel to everyone that can hear, and be able to glorify God through serving. So all of us are to serve the Lord by our practice. I love this idea because uh, we have a special focus on helping people who may not know where to serve, may not know what the gifts are, uh, to go through an interview process. And I, I asked this morning, uh, PJ Dunn, who is, our, uh, who is our staff member over that area, that service ministry, how many people have gone through the process just this year of knowing their spiritual gifts and serving some of them for the first time? He said 112 people have gone through that process in the last couple of months, three months, so that they can know their gifts, know how to be plugged in. That, that ought to be going on around the clock, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, all year long. Every one of us need to serve the Lord as a practice. Why? Because we love one another. Because we love the most high God that we serve. Out of love should come service. No one ever retires from serving the Lord in the body of Christ, at least not in the eyes of God. Some of us think, well, I've served long enough. Well, if you're still on earth, there's still more to serve. And you may serve in a different way than you did in past years, but everyone can serve, everyone can pray, everyone can teach the word, everyone can love, and that's one of our callings, that we are to serve the Lord. Secondly, the word fervent in spirit talks about always being able and ready 
to boil over. The word actually means to boil over. It means to always be at a temperature where a little bit more temperature, one more degree, would allow you to absolutely explode in love and serving one another. That we're never to be tepid, we're never to be cold, not even to be warm Christians, but to be boiling in the power of the Spirit so that we can literally serve at God's discretion. Finally, devoted to prayer. That's part of being God-centered. That speaks of dependence. For us to love one another, we pray for another. For us to love God, we pray for the things that God loves. To be dependent on prayer. I saw a question not long ago that convicted me. If God answered all your prayers, whose life would change? If God answered all your prayers, whose life would change? If God answered all your prayers, what else would change? That's a great question to ask ourselves. Is my prayer life bringing me to the place where I'm depending on God for great things? I mean, we've sung about the greatness of God over these last few moments. God is not a God who is unable. All the way through the scripture, he talks about his ability, his power. He talks about his might. But sometimes our prayer life demonstrates that we don't really believe that or really not practicing that. Our love for the body, our love for God ought to call us to a God-centered kind of prayer life where we are devoted to prayer. God-centered. The second three groupings would be people-focused. Not lagging in diligence refers to never being lazy to respond to the need of people. Never ignoring what is around us when it comes to helping. Being able to see a need and rise to meet that need is so incredibly important. That's one of the reasons I love the ministries that come out of this church in so many different ways, so many different neighborhoods, apartment complexes, homes, so many different families are impacted by all the ministries that come out of our church. We're not lagging in diligence, nor should we ever lag in diligence to those outside the walls of this church. And, and over the last 10 years, we've watched that explode as the needs have increased. So has the body of Christ's ability to meet those needs. I would say it's a good, healthy indicator of where our church is today that we care about those outside the walls who have need as well as those inside the walls. Good job. Good job. As we gather food for people that don't have it, as we hand out backpacks through six stones, as we work through CPR, as we, as we go to the schools and teach the kids and back in, uh, in the kids' beach clubs all the things that they need to know about the salvation of our God, good job. Don't lag behind in diligence. The next line, also people focus, and that is contributing to the needs of the saints. I just love the fact that in our church today, we're able to reach out to people who have reached out to us who are within the body who have great needs. And I've seen story after story after story of rescue operations that you may never hear about because of the issue of privacy. You may never hear about it, but people whose lives are put back together because you're generous, because we reach out to the needs of the saints. And then finally, be people focused in that we practice hospitality. You know, hospitality is greeting strangers and loving strangers and being able to show the love of Jesus to people that we don't know. They don't just have to be people we know, but the love that we have for God allows us to love our neighbors well and reach out to those that we don't know. And as we practice hospitality, we further and promote the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we have a God-centered kind of mindset. We have a people-focused kind of mindset. And then Paul finally says it needs to be faith-based. 
faith-based. We walk by faith. The Bible says that all the way through. Paul is the one that says it more than anyone else, that the just shall walk by faith. We, we need to believe God for, for incredible things. And here's what he says in these two lines, rejoicing in hope. Rejoicing in hope. That word hope means confidence. It's not just an iffy kind of hope. An iffy kind of hope would be, I hope the Cowboys win the Super Bowl this next year. That's iffy. But if they're ahead by 45 points in the third quarter of the Super Bowl, then and I say, I hope they win. That's a confidence kind of hope, right? Are you with me? I'm a Cowboy fan. I just hope I live to see the day that they get another Super Bowl. The Christian is to rejoice and the confidence that God is going to work supernaturally in our lives and that in the end, God will even everything. He'll make everything just and fair in the long run. We'll be with him forever and ever, no matter what goes on on planet Earth, rejoicing in the hope we find only in Jesus. Dear believer, you need to be glass half full and not glass half empty. This says... I don't have a reason for pessimism as long as God is on the throne and that'll be forever, amen? Now, some of us kind of pride ourselves in being pessimistic and that's fine until you bring God into the picture and the picture is not complete until God has spoken. Keep that in your mind. Paul says, you're to rejoice in hope, in confidence, and you're to persevere in tribulation. The New Testament believers advance the gospel in the harshest of times. I remember being in India a few years ago. We were having a Bible conference and there were about 50 members of one group of villages and their churches that were coming to the Bible conference but had not arrived yet and people were asking about their whereabouts. The conference started, went through the first day. They still weren't there. The second day we learned that about these 50, these 50 people that were coming, various villages, churches, walking together to the meeting point had been waylaid, had been taken aside by a group of people who hated Christians and been beaten and attacked with machetes. So these 50 were in various stages of woundedness, hurt, fearful. Some had been taken to the hospital. About 30 of them arrived on the second day, about halfway through. We heard the story of what happened to them. They'd left some of their own brothers and sisters in Christ, in some cases their own relatives in the hospital to make the Bible conference. And we said, how is it that you're still here coming to the Bible conference when you were beaten so badly? And they said to us, is there anything more important than serving the Lord our God? And I looked at those believers and I said, you know, these are people that understand what it means to persevere in tribulation. That no matter what happens, you keep serving, you keep loving, you keep moving forward with the gospel of Jesus. No matter what happens to you personally, even if your feelings are hurt, and even if bad things happen to your personal life, health things take place, all kinds of things take place. We continue to be persevering in our tribulation. Why is this so important? Because our mission and our calling are of eternal importance. What we do matters because people's lives are at stake. In Romans chapter 13, verse 11 and 12, Paul gets to this why. He said, do this, knowing the time that it's already the hour for you to awake from sleep. For now salvation is nearer to us than when we believe. The night is almost gone, the day is near. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Paul says, you better keep serving, you better keep loving. 
You better keep letting the gospel move forward. Here's why, because there will be a day when that opportunity is no more. But until then, so many people's lives, so many people's salvation is at stake. Let me bring that home and close. Do you know today that the new population estimates in America show that the Dallas-Fort Worth area led metroplexes around the United States in new residences in 2017 and 2018? U.S. Census Bureau numbers show that the cities of Dallas-Fort Worth and Arlington grew by uh, over 131,700 residents last year, but have gained more than a million residents since 2010 and expected to do it again in the next decade. More than a million people moved here. We're now the fourth largest metroplex in the nation behind New York, Chicago, Los Angeles, than there is Dallas-Fort Worth. That's amazing. That's incredible. For us to be able to see that many people moving here. I was at the airport not long ago at the international terminal waiting for my daughter to come back from a trip overseas. And, and I got there very early. Her plane was delayed. And I watched nation after nation pour through those doorways and come out of that international terminal. And as I looked at them, as I watched them interact with one another, as I, as I observed the different languages that they were representing, I thought, Lord, what an opportunity we have because just about four miles or five miles away from that terminal is this church in the middle of a group of incredible diversity with all the tools and all the heart and passion to reach the world for Christ. And I said, Lord, may we be found faithful in what we do. Isn't that the cry that all of us should have? Gene Apple made a statement some time ago. He wrote this, I always keep two churches in mind, the church we are and the church by grace, God's grace we can become church we are, and the church that we, by God's grace, can become. Two churches in mind, we're always moving, we're always in a progression, and every decision we make should keep the priority of reaching new people in mind. I want you to bow with me today, others. Father, today we thank you so much for the call to love one another and this opportunity we have today to practice that out in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our personal, individual lives, wherever we are. And Father, I would ask you in Jesus' name as you let us own this passage, this text. Lord, teach us to love one another in the way you've described in your word. Thank you for the privilege today we have in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen.